very glad to be here, part of the, I understand, the third annual youth conference. Maybe it began in Georgia and was able to participate last year and thankful to be here again this year. Uh, the paper that I did in your packet, uh, there didn't get to edit it like I wanted to, so you may find some verses that are one or two lines off maybe, and uh, some repetition of sentences, so please be gracious as you read those. I'd like to base my comments uh, this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1, so if you turn to that book. I struggled with where to launch from in the Bible, being the best known passage, I think, on holiness from Isaiah chapter 6, which we'll note, but in 1 Peter, Peter drew my attention to the holiness of God and how it relates to us and focusing primarily, if the one thing I would want you to take away from this and you want to write it down is the root of holiness. What is the root of holiness? Sometimes we think of holiness in terms of the fruit and sometimes we can think of fruit like tying a piece of fruit on a tree. If it's just tied there, it doesn't last, it doesn't work. And we think of holiness from the outside. What does it look on the outside? But Peter's going to direct us to both sides, but starting at the root of holiness. What's below the tree? What's in the root system that's going to produce the fruit of holiness in life? Now, you're going to see some overlap with myself and Brother Jamie because as I preach at times, I use glory and holiness almost interchangeably. Then I had to think because I knew he was going first, how do you distinguish between the two? So... When we think of holiness, we may think of terms like being separate, uh, pursuing God as it relates to us. When we think of God's holiness, we may think of his separateness, his transcendence, which means his, his distance from us. But how do you define holiness before anything ever existed for which God could be separate from? That is... Prior to Genesis 1-1, there was nothing for which God could even could be compared to. There was nothing for him to be separate from. No evil, no sin, no creation. And he didn't become holy at Genesis 1-1. He was already holy. And so how do we define holiness as it relates to God alone rather than a comparison or saying he's not comparable to anything created when nothing created? So that's kind of what we want to think about first. Let me read the verses I want to focus in on. 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. As God is holy, be holy. So Peter's foundation here in speaking to the suffering saints is something to be understood about God and his holiness that is the basis now for being holy, as it is written, be holy for I am holy. So how do we think of God's holiness as it relates to God alone? Well, I think Peter gives us a clue when he says in verse 13, we're to hope to the end for the grace that's coming to us because the end of grace at the revelation of Christ is holiness. 
That's God's aim, to make us holy. And again, in 1 Peter 1.8, Peter would write, Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the end for which we hope in, the end of faith, is holiness. It's holiness. Jesus came to make us holy, to make us pure, to give us a pure heart. What is the aim of that holiness? What is the aim of a pure heart? And when Peter writes that in verse 8, he is coordinating believing and receiving. By believing, by trusting in Christ, we are already receiving the end for which God has saved and is saving. That is holiness. So by trusting Christ, we're being shaped into an end that we're receiving now in part, which is the very goal of faith, the salvation of our souls. And what is the end of faith as it relates to holiness? Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Why do we need a pure heart? To see him. And purity isn't part of holiness. Hebrews 12. Follow peace with all men and holiness. Without, you won't see God. Holiness is a prerequisite for seeing God. Without it, you'll never behold glory. So the end of faith is to see God. And then 1 John chapter 3 and the third verse, or the second verse, Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope purifieth himself, even as he is pure or holy. There is a purity that we already possess in the books of heaven, legally before God, but there's a purity that we're pursuing, or a holiness. What is the aim, John, of that purity? To see him as he is. So I think Peter's going to give us four things about God's holiness as it relates to him alone, without anything created, And then we want to look at the root of that holiness as it relates to us. How can we then be holy as God is holy? And I think the four things, and I hope I'm not stretching it, uh, in verse 8 would be love. You love, but you've never seen. Joy, you rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. And the fourth, and I'm not going in this order, Knowing or knowledge and believing and saving faith, an aspect is knowing something about God that we're trusting in what we know, even when it's the promises of God. So we've got fullness, knowledge, love, and joy. So let's first think about fullness or full of glory. The end of salvation will be full of glory. It will be a fullness in seeing God and knowing Him in that way. Now Isaiah 6 is going to speak, as Jamie says, about fullness. When it speaks of the holiness of God, where he cries out of the seraphims do, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's full of his glory. Now, I began to think, what's the difference in glory and holiness? And when Jamie says, glory is the radiance of holiness, then what is holiness? If glory is shining forth of holiness, what's here? 
before anything shines forth, it's fullness. It's like Jamie said, you would expect Isaiah to say, the whole earth is full of his holiness. And so the glory of God is when holiness goes public. It's called glory. And that's why we sometimes use them interchangeably. Another thing about Jamie's presentation in mind that's so kind of comical, it's like, Jamie, when I meditate on illustrations, I use Zach as well in my illustrations. I don't know what it is about Zach. So if I said Zach Guess is an historian, his whole library is full of history books. I described his being a historian with what's in his library. So you would go and see, yes, I see the books. That's a display publicly of the fact that he's an historian. God's holiness, when it's displayed in the earth, is called glory. But what is it about the fullness of the earth that's a reflection of God's value, his worth, his glory, as Jamie said? Isaiah 45, 18 says, God created the earth not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. The purpose of God, one of many, for creating the earth the way it is, is so that it would sustain life and be inhabited. We have never needed to go to Mars to get water or food. The clothing you wear comes from this earth. The building and all the materials, all the natural resources we need comes from the earth. As you know, there, there are no men underneath opening a hatch and filling the earth so that we have what we've needed for about 6,000 years. The earth is full of itself. It's independent. It's complete. You don't have to put anything in it in terms of what it gives to us. How does that relate to God? God is independent. He is full. He is self-sufficient. He needs no one. He's shaped by no one. He's influenced by no one. He's taught by no one. He is completely full, unbroken, undamaged in every way. He's fully full, we could say. And so when his glory shines forth, you see it, the holiness of God in fullness. John 1.14, and the word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and implied full of truth. When God's holiness is displayed in His Son called glory, it's fullness, a fullness. John 1.16, of His fullness have all we received, grace for grace. Fullness. You remember in the Exodus chapter 3 where Moses was told, take the shoes off your feet. The ground whereon you stand is holy ground. That's the first time that Hebrew word is used in the Bible, holy. You remember, he turned aside to see why the bush burned and was not consumed. What is the relationship with the holy ground, the burning bush, and the fact that God revealed himself as the I am of the Bible? I am that I am. He's full. He's sufficient. He's not needy. He doesn't depend on man. He's completely complete in the Godhead. Well, what God was demonstrating with the burning bush is just like the fire didn't need the bush to fuel it, which all fire must have fuel. It must have something to fuel it, to ignite it. Just like the fire was burning independent of the wood, God burns, if you will. God exists. God is independent of any means of anything outside of himself. So his holiness, first of all, is a fullness that resides in the Godhead and in the Trinity alone. That's why, as human beings, sinners saved by grace, we can only approach God on the basis of his holy fullness. Hebrews 6, or 11, 6, rather, speaks of this. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to him must believe that he is. He is third person singular. So if Jesus were here, we would say he is third person. But if Jesus turned it to first person, what would he say? I am that I am. You may not come to God who is holy unless you come to him as a needy, bankrupt, empty person, fully in need of his fullness. And so the first aspect of holiness is that God is overflowing fullness. And when he created the earth, he gave us a reflection of that fullness in the completeness of the earth itself and that it sustains itself and all that we need comes right out of the earth for the physical body. All that we need spiritually comes from the fullness of God, which is in Jesus Christ, who is the Holy One of Israel, as it says in the Old Testament. Now, the second aspect, and we'll put these four together as we come to that conclusion, is knowledge. What is God full of? He's full of knowledge in some way. And so Peter says it this way, not only in verse 8, but also verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but be holy. Now, obedient children is synonymous with pursuing holiness. As obedient children, be holy. What he says negatively in verse 14 is a disobedient child. And I don't mean the kind that's a sinner who fails and sins and repents. I mean the kind of Hebrew, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, which is a disobedient child, a child of wrath, which is what we all are by nature apart from the grace of God. So a child of disobedience here is one that's being fashioned or shaped by lust because they don't know something, ignorance. But holiness, according to the way Peter writes, is the opposite. Be shaped by new desires because now you know something. You're no longer ignorant. A root of holiness is to know God and to desire God, Peter would say. And that's an aspect of God's own holiness before he created anything. God was full of himself, we could say, in three persons, and what was being communicated between himself was knowledge. Listen to Jesus Christ in John 10, 15. For as the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now that knowledge didn't come on the scene in Genesis 1, 1. God has always known the Son, the Son has always known the Father, and that's a fullness of knowing their infinite perfections and worth and value, as Jamie spoke to us. God has always been communicating that knowledge between the Godhead. God's plan, His holy plan, is to call up sinners into that holy relationship. And the root of that is going to be knowing Him, knowing Him. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know thee. Now, if that's eternal life, and God is eternal life, and he's always lived that eternal life, then he's always what? He's always known God. God knows God. And so, what is shaping you today? What kind of desires and cravings and longings shape you? You know, in our culture today, there are many things that could be shaping you, many Influences, many things that you could love, desire. Unlike any other prior generation, 
Well, to be holy, to pursue holiness, you must be shaped by new desires. These desires are cultivated by knowing something about God, His holiness and His glory. The Bible will speak to us. And so that's another aspect. We've got the fullness of God, fullness of glory, and then we've got knowing God, being shaped by knowledge. The third aspect that connects to this is love. In verse 8, Peter said, you haven't seen him, but you love him. You love him. God's holiness before he ever created anything involved love, a holy love. John 17, 24, Father, I will, those that thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world, before any matter, before any creation. Just God as a Trinitarian spirit, there was love. What kind of love? It was a love of knowledge. What kind of knowledge? An overflowing fullness and an infinite perfections of knowing that God loved and he's always loved because in him there's no darkness at all. There was nothing to hinder God's sight of his own radiant holiness between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now notice how Jesus will equate love and knowledge. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee. I have known thee. How long have you known him, Jesus? Forever and ever and ever. He has known the Father. What kind of relationship is that? Was it, as Jamie said, sort of boring at times and static? Or was it always a fullness, an overflowing knowledge of love and perfections that delighted the Godhead? And therefore, they didn't need to create us. I say they in the three-person plural. God didn't need us. We can't do anything for God. We can't make God more than what he is. God determined in his holy purpose to share his fullness and his knowledge and his radiant glory and his love for that with sinners. That's an amazing story. And then there's joy. So Peter would say, this end for which we're moving toward, this holy end of seeing God, now ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory. God's life within the Godhead was a fullness of joy. A fullness of joy. There's never been a moment in God's existence where he wasn't joyful, happy, satisfied forever. And as Jamie said, what kind of heaven would there be if we were going to a place of dissatisfaction? Would you want to go there? I mean, we shy away from unhappy experiences on this earth. Who would want to be in a heaven with the unhappy God? But the God who's been infinitely full of himself, perfect, loving, knowing, and full of joy, determined to save sinners so that we could experience that holiness, that glory. Psalm 1611, you know, says, Thou wilt show me the path of life at thy right hand, is fullness of joy, and there are pleasures forevermore. Now, if at the right hand of God there's joy and pleasure forever, now here's where we're getting to the root of holiness. And I want somebody to answer this question. You just raise your hand, I'll let you answer it. So follow me here. If at the right hand of God 
There is joy and pleasure forever. And then in Colossians 2.1 we find, if you, been, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits where? At the right hand of the Father. So if there's joy and pleasure at the right hand of the Father, and you're seeking where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, what must you seek to be holy? Christ, and what will we find in Him? Holiness. Joy unspeakable. And what's the other word in John, uh, Psalm 1611? Pleasure. So maybe I didn't say that well. Let me do it again. If at the right hand of God there's joy and pleasure, and you're seeking Jesus at the right hand of God, you cannot be indifferent to joy and pleasure. You must seek joy and pleasure in God, or you're not seeking holiness. You're not seeking holiness. Now I want to ask you, what kind of pleasure-seeking are you doing in your life? Is it the pleasure-seeking of fullness, of knowledge, of love, and of joy? You see, that's our struggle, isn't it? And that's what Peter wants to talk to us about concerning the root of holiness. When we seek to know God, we must be seeking joy in Him, or we're missing an aspect of holiness. Because the Pharisees knew something about God, but they were a joyless people. Joyless. If we seek to love God, what are we going to love about God? What do we love about the life of God? His fullness. He supplies all of our needs. Don't you love that about God the Father? That everything you need keeps coming like a fountain of life. And there's nothing lacking in God. And we know Him like that. We pursue that knowledge and that love and that fullness it should bring joy. If it doesn't, then we're not seeing him as we should see him. Now, I recognize that's not a constant experience of the Christian. It's a battle. It's a war, and it's something we must pursue. But what I want to point out is that you must be seeking joy and pleasure spiritually, or you cannot and you will not pursue holiness, because that is what it means for God to be holy. Listen to Psalm 36 and about the 8th verse where the psalmist there will say, They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink from the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. The reason David says God can do this for us, satisfy us, and make us drink from the river of pleasure is because of in him there's the fountain of life. Now what kind of river is God drinking from in his own life? the river of abundant satisfaction and the river of pleasure. For how could he give me satisfaction, pleasure, if he can't drink from his own fountain, as Jamie pointed out? Now, how does this happen? For, we, for with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light, that's a symbol of holiness, in your purity, in your light, we shall see what? Light. Oh, continue your loving kindness with them that know thee. There's knowledge. There's joy, there's satisfaction, there's holiness. So God, in his plan of salvation, determined to give us a glimpse of his glory, which before it was revealed in creation or in Jesus, it was 
within the Godhead, experienced between the Trinitarian relationship of a delightful fellowship forever, he is going to call us into that relationship. So Peter says we're receiving what is the end by believing and trusting God. We're being shaped. We're being molded by that root of knowing, loving, seeing, enjoying the fullness that is in Christ Jesus alone. Now, we should be able to see Paul, when he prays for the holiness of people, we should see these four aspects of holiness, and we do in Colossians 1. Epaphras had declared unto Paul their love in the Spirit. There's love. So he wants to see that love continue. So what does he pray? He prays they'd be filled with knowledge. So there's love, filling, knowledge. And then he prays for the power of the Spirit that through long-suffering and patience it would be with joyfulness. Paul is pursuing the joy of the Christians in his prayer by being filled with knowledge and it working itself out in love because they know the Godhead. Ephesians chapter 3, you'll see many of the same aspects of holiness. He prayed for the power of the Spirit that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if you're filled with the fullness of God, what are you filled with? Overflowing. Delight. Love for Jesus by knowing his supremacy. Knowing his supremacy. Without this root, your holiness is nothing but an outward shell with no inward power. It's an outward facade that makes us much like the Pharisees when we put on piety and tie the fruit on the tree. We've all tried that before. I'm supposed to be holy, so I get this fruit up there and then it starts to rot. But when our roots And our attachment to Jesus Christ is feeding on all that he is for us, his fullness. Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in him shall all fullness dwell. Colossians 2.9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Godhead's fullness is in Christ without anything lacking and you are complete in him. So we must be in pursuit of a spiritual joy. And I distinguish the kind of joy that we may think of in America that's always jumping up, kicking your heels, that says, I'm a Christian and I'm happy on the t-shirt as if there's no pain. Because Peter's book is about what? Pain. He's talking about a contentment, a peace, and a joy that's at the level of the soul that happens by knowing, loving, the fullness of God as it just keeps coming as a fountain to meet all of our needs, whether in trial or out of trial. Whatever the problem, whatever you may be dealing with as a young person, if nobody else knows about it, the Father in heaven knows, and he's able to meet all your needs, whatever the context. Consider this, beloved, God's holy passion. What did it take for God to reveal himself to you? If God has revealed himself to you today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you say, I I know something about Jesus now. I love what I know about him. I want more of the fullness of Christ, and it fills me with his joy. What did it take? Verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your pilgrimage or sojourning here in fear, in fear, 
Why should we fear God's holiness, reverence his holiness? What did it take? How high does God regard his own name? What does he think about his name? Or rather, what did it take to satisfy the justice, the sins that belittled that name? It took the execution of the holy, harmless, separate from sinners, Son of God. Nothing less would do but fullness. That's why it's such an offense and an insult to God to suggest that a mere human being can satisfy God. It took fullness to satisfy fullness. It took infinite perfections to satisfy infinite perfections. If you have a mere man dying for God, you've got a man satisfying God, which means God's not so full as we thought he was. He's not so complete. He needs a man. But when you have God satisfying God on the cross, you've got the preservation of his holiness and his righteousness, and he maintains the high regard he has for his own name. So what did it take? Did it take valuable things such as silver and gold? They're corruptible. No, it took the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but manifest in these last times for you. God's regard and his passion for his holiness was displayed in the fact that he would not spare his own son. What man would not spare his own son? I would. Your dads would spare you if they could, but God would not spare his own son. Why? Because he wants us to see and know that the only way he could righteously redeem sinners is if his righteousness and his holiness were maintained by a righteous sacrifice of fullness on the cross. And so we see in the cross God's high regard for his own holy name. But look now at the holy power that we can experience that Peter talks about in pursuing this route of holiness. He says in verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So now Peter is going to borrow from an Old Testament purpose related to Israel. God's redemptive purpose for Israel as it related to coming out of Egypt was for that nation to be a special people, a peculiar people, a holy nation. Exodus 19, 5 and 6, Deuteronomy 4, 2, 7, chapter 7, and chapter 14, 2. You'll see the phraseology there is, God had chosen this nation, redeemed them from Egypt to be a special people, a unique people, a holy people, a consecrated people, a people belonging to God for himself to display the glory that Brother Jamie spoke about by experiencing the root of holiness, something that you can't see yet, something that's happening in your communication, your fellowship with Jesus Christ that then expresses itself in what Jamie called as glorifying God with good works. So without that root of holiness, God is never seen to be glorious. What's seen to be glorious is my car, which I love. I know it. 
It's joyful. And boy, it gives me fullness of all that I want. My daughters look at me strange because I've got a 2001 van. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to apply it maybe to the cars you would like to drive. Or my computer. Or the person I like. You see, we know how to glorify things. Because we love them, we rejoice in them. Or as Jamie says, we talk about them. They fill us. We, we embrace them. We have fellowship with them. Well, God is claiming his covenant people, displaying his holiness to them in the cross, calling them to himself in a life of holiness, and saying, your purpose now, your consecration is to display that you've been called out of the darkness when you were shaped by the former lusts when you didn't know God. Now, some of you here may be still shaped by nothing but earthly cravings. And you're drinking deeply from the earth. And I can identify with you. I don't want you to think of these ministers up here as sort of born holy. We're not. Beloved, I drank deeply from the world. Deeply. Would I not want to drink more deeply from God? To pursue holiness, you've got to drink deeply in Christ. And thanks be to God, if you have a day where you didn't drink so deep, the blood of Christ covers it. So you have the freedom to pursue Him now. It's not a a fearful existence where if if I don't do it just right, I'm going to be consumed. No, we have freedom to know God, to love God, to enjoy God, to be with God even now through His Word. And so... Peter will identify with the Old Testament purpose, with this difference. God was calling people into a nation, now he's calling them into churches. Call them out of darkness, into his marvelous light. But if you look at Isaiah 43, 21, I think Peter's specifically addressing that chapter with this purpose. He said, Israel is mine. I redeemed him from Egypt. I created him for my glory. And then he says... The beast of the field and the dragons and the owls shall honor me. When they see me give drink to my chosen, I will give them water to drink. This people have I formed for myself. They will show forth my praise. Peter says we're to show forth the praises of God who called us out of the darkness and drinking from polluted, defiled waters. And now they're going to praise God by drinking from another fountain. And you see that connection in 20 and 21. Isaiah 43. Now, how do you glorify a fountain? Well, first, you drink from it. How do you glorify a a glass of water on a hot Mississippi summer day? And I'm from Mississippi. I know the heat here. You make this sound after you drink it. Everybody together, make the sound after you've been hot and thirsty. Wait a minute. And you've just gulped down a big glass of water, and you do this, and you say what? What does that say about the water? I was so satisfied. It was so good. I love this stuff. But if all you drink is Kool-Aid, sugar water, I, I drink that stuff. I'm not condemning that. I'm making an analogy here. The pollutions of the world. Then when you say ah to people, they're going to say, I know what he's talking I'm just like that person. Man, I love this car. I love this stuff too. 
But when you say, ah, about Christ, they don't know what you're talking about. They're going to know something more, as Jamie said, when you witness to them. And so, if you're a believer, you've been chosen. Now you make up the priesthood to offer sacrifices through Christ. You're, you're, you've been made holy legally. You're pursuing holiness. And you're a people of God's own possession to fulfill this mandate to drink. Now here's the problem that Peter's going to help us with in the root. In two directions. 1 Peter 2.1 Lay aside those sinful desires. Malice guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speakings. If you define those words, they all are rooted in desire. Well, the easy is envy, right? I desire what that person has, and I'm mad that they have it. That's, a des- that's the root. The root of unholiness is desires in your former lust when you didn't know God. Peter says, here's the root of holiness. Are you ready for it? Start reading the Word of God. If you think that's right, raise your hand. If you think that's just part of it, raise your hand. Okay. Verse 2, it's just part of it. As newborn babes, don't read it. Of course, that's what you have to do. Desire it. What's Peter getting to? The root of holiness. As newborn babes, crave the Word of God. Don't read it. Oh, yes, you have to read it to crave it. That's understood, Peter knows. He's getting to the root of our holiness. He knows that in order to be holy, we can't just say no on the outside. Have you ever tried that? No, no, no to it. Why is my soul still longing for it? Beloved, no is not going to help you in the long term. You must say no. And it's good to say no. But in the long term, no to the deceitful, Pleasures of sin for season is not going to help you in the long term. You've got to battle the lust of the flesh with a superior beauty, knowing, loving, and satisfaction. And that's where Peter's going. So he says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I knew a man years ago that had cancer and... He was concerned and his wife was concerned, so she called me and said, Brother Mike, I'm concerned about my husband. He's not growing. He's not gaining any weight. He's losing weight. I said, well, is he eating? He said, yeah, he eats. He eats. I said, what do you think the problem is? He doesn't desire to eat. Now, he's eating, but he doesn't desire it, and he's not growing. Beloved, you can read the Word of God over and over, but until you desire it, Peter says, you're not going to grow. Because the root of holiness is a knowing the sufficiency of Christ in such a way that it satisfies your spiritual desires. Now somebody says, how do I get these desires? 1 Peter 1.23, being born again. This is what God gives in the new birth. We cultivate those desires by laying aside things that spoil the appetite for God and then cultivate what He's already given in the new birth. How do we cultivate? We look on Him. We see Him. We know Him. We rejoice by the Word of God. I remember my mom used to say when I would want a cookie or something sweet before lunch, she said, you know, spoil your appetite. And she was always right. How many of you are spoiling your appetite for God because you're eating the cookies of the world every day? Every day. What do you look at on the Internet? 
How much time do you spend with God's word as opposed to Facebook? I'm not against Facebook, although I'm not on it. I'll say that. You know, these, these things aren't evil in themselves. We're talking about if you're going to desire God's word, you've got to drink it like you drink milk. A baby desires milk, and they want it. But if you spoil your appetite, you're going to be saying, why don't I desire God? Why, why is it not there if you're a believer? And so we've got to lay aside things, Peter says, so that we can desire the sincere milk of the Word. And the second aspect of this consecration and displaying the glory of God and this root of holiness is in verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, chapter 2, as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war at the level of the soul. Beloved, your war is not with your friends and your parents and your pastors. It's at the level of desire. You have competing desires if you've been born again. A desire to honor God and to know Him and a desire called the flesh that's still there to bring you down. How do you win the war, Peter says? Keep a safe distance, young people. That little old song, be careful little lies what you see. The eye is the gateway to the soul. Be careful little ears what you hear kind of music you're listening to that can cultivate desires of the flesh. Be careful little feet where you go. Places and visions and things that can cultivate covetousness, which is idolatry. Think on that for a while. Abstain. How do you abstain? You say no. But you cultivate holy desires given to you by God. The kind of holy desires that God has, His are without imperfections. The kind of love God has, His was without darkness. The kind of knowing God knows without any dark spots. The kind of fullness that He's forever experienced, that He sent His Son to die for you to pursue. How much more should we be pursuing holiness by pursuing this root, this underneath the surface, in the soul, relationship with God that then leads to verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by, by your good works, which they shall behold or see, glorify God. So when the root of holiness is happening, that joy and fullness is swelling in good works, and it's going out called glory, and people are seeing. That person's just not satisfied with what I'm sad. They don't get their kicks with what I get my kick. What is different about that person? Now you share that this fruit is something of God. It's something Jesus did. It's something that Jesus planned for your life. It's something he did to save you, and how precious the blood of Christ is in your life. We are receiving the end of our faith today. And just a small token, small part as we pursue God. What is that end? It's holiness to see God. So if we're pursuing by faith, receiving that end today, what must we be pursuing in this route? Seeing the fullness of Christ that we receive, grace for grace, John 1.16. Filled with the knowledge of His will. Filled with knowledge and love. Philippians 1.9, Colossians 1.10. Loving God, which is holiness, 1 Thessalonians 3 in the last two verses, equates love and holiness. And then a joy unspeakable 
which in that day, beloved, will be full of joy when we receive the end of that faith, which is the salvation of your souls. God bless.